So hello to everybody watching or listening. I'm Amber Fur, and today I'm joined by Wesley Ankara, Director of Social Value at Savills. So firstly, thank you so much for joining me today, Wesley. Thanks, Amber. Um, so typically then, when we think about, you know, the kind of value of property, naturally people go straight for the, you know, classic measures of value, like price per square foot, you know, sales price, rental yields. And we really, we can use these reliable metrics to really measure the financial value of a property. But when it comes to the social value of a property, measuring this is a lot more difficult, isn't it? And I know that it's a question that you spend a lot of time answering, researching and writing about. But before we really dive into that question, would you mind just giving a quick introduction to your role at Savills and a bit about your experience? Yeah, of course. So I'm Wesley Ankara. I'm the Director of Social Value at Savills Earth, uh, which I've been at seven months for. But I've been in the sector for eight years now. My background prior to real estate was in the youth services sector. So I generally have come from a very socially consciously driven background. And, and what I've always found is that real estate has the power to kind of enable the uh, change of people's lives and circumstances in a more positive way than people have ever realised. And also sometimes what real estate doesn't realise either. So my, my background genuinely is, is, is from a non-real estate background. And I, I feel that that gives me a certain insight into how to kind of consider the purpose of real estate and what it can do for people. Okay, great. So can you start by telling us then, how do you define social value when it comes to property development? So, I mean, social value has many different definitions um, that are being sort of, you know, developed over a series of years. But for me, social value design is defined by people. It's defined by what it can do for people. And I, I kind of have a real basic philosophy around social value within real estate. And that's the, the four pillars of people. So okay. um, pillar one is about people who live in buildings. So how can we create social value? That's normally driven by design. What can we put into buildings design-wise that will enable them to have better experiences of living in the areas and places that we're creating? Uh, area two, in terms of pillar two, that would be people that work in buildings, actually. So whether that's an office building, whether that's someone who's actually working in a residential building. So there's a combination of two social values there we're considering. But those two areas are, are, are kind of finite in terms of number of units that are sold or beds that are in those buildings or office space within a building. You can only accommodate a certain number of people. Whereas the final two pillars actually are endless in, in terms of how they can be considered and what we can create. And, and those two factors are the people kind of entering a building. So people that may come into a ground floor office, which might be a library or a museum, or it could be a food hall, where actually there's sometimes social value can be driven through those uses of spaces. And, and finally, and probably the, the least considered amount of social value is, what about the social value for the people that are never going to come near that building or asset or area? Um, and that's because actually, a lot of time when we're thinking about planning social value strategies, we don't think about those people and what is it we need to do to create pathways for those people to, to enter those buildings in the future maybe, or maybe the next generation of people in those families. Okay, great. So it's kind of about the integration as well within the, within the local community. Yeah, completely. I think that's that, that's the purpose of the assets and the, and the buildings we're talking about. When we consider real estate, the, the, the words estate really are driven by things people uh, aren't considered. So when you look at designing a building, it'll be considered in certain ways about people, but a building is, is nothing without people in it. So it has to be yeah. driven at the heart of what people need in terms of what yeah. we determine social value to be. Absolutely. I think with the kind of residential property sphere, I think we see so many examples of amenity space that just isn't used. And I think that's when it's not been shaped around what that 
that area or that you know demographic is is crying out for um so i think it really does have to start with what people want and listening before kind of just building yeah completely i, I think as well there's sometimes an element of kind of misconceptions around people coming into spaces where they don't live and where they're sometimes perceived to not belong. Um, some mm-hmm. of the best areas and, and projects I've seen are being driven by people who don't live or work in those buildings, entering those buildings in, in some way or another. And I, I think you know, the, the drive for more vibrant, inclusive spaces has, has definitely seen an, an impact on design. But also, I do believe as well that you know, we're seeing an impact in, in value. You know, people want to live in areas where things mm-hmm. are active, busy, bright, and so if you have these kind of ground floor spaces, which are quite anemic, maybe unoccupied, why would you want to live there? Whereas if you go to yeah. a, a building which has a ground floor, which is really highly active, it has some kind of active frontage, which really kind of draws you in in a kind of immersive experience mm-hmm. whilst you're going to and from work, that's the kind of place I want to live. And I think that's the place yeah. most people want to do. I think people definitely have a feel-good factor from living mm-hmm. in those places. So the ultimate part of that is, is, is that, you know, how do we qualify that in terms of decision-making? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you talked then about a bit about the value to potentially investors as well, because, of course, you know, where people want to live and people want to rent, that, of course, is, you know, their whole, what underpins their bottom line. But how do we actually go about measuring the social value of a property um, and the positive impact that that these buildings are having on the local communities? So measurement is always the kind of elephant in the room um, a lot of the time. I started my, started my whole sort of social value journey um, very much around measurement frameworks and very much around the monetization of social value. So ultimately looking at sort of proxy values to help you determine the value from a social value perspective that's being created from a building. Um, so from a really simple kind of terms around uh, employment and, and skills, you know, if we are to be delivering a new development and there's a certain number of construction jobs coming forward and a certain number of those uh, construction jobs are ring-fenced off for, say, care leavers or ex-offenders, there's mm-hmm. a greater benefit to society with people from those backgrounds finding employment as opposed to maybe uh, an A-star, A-level lever from school. So yeah. there's, there's, there's a very simple way to look at kind of the cost-benefit analysis to identify you know, the monetized values. But taking those two examples, let, let, let's take the, the care lever example. You know, there's a lot more that can happen and go on in that person's life that it just isn't measurable. And so how do we account for those changes actually in those people's lives and, and the social value that's created? Because ultimately, you know, we want to ensure that the decisions we're making around potentially the, the social value strategy and, and what we're planning to do are of the optimum value to society. And so there's the qualitative approach to measuring social value, which sometimes might not be able to produce a monetized value, which to be fair, isn't useful when you're trying to create a standardized approach to measurement comparing one asset to another. Yeah. But ultimately, we have to move away from the kind of the almost quite reductive numbers game and actually yeah. look about the actual needs of communities and understand how real estate can kind of satisfy and support those needs. Absolutely. And are you sort of referring to there things like, you know, a, a GP centre or, you know, a children's climbing frame, that sort of thing that really kind of integrates the local community with these buildings? Yeah, completely. But for example, what if there are 10 children's climbing frames within, you know, 200 metres of the one you're looking to build? What if there are already seven GP surgeries? Ultimately, the local need is what's going to dictate the social value that's required. And actually, sometimes in terms of what GP surgeries are there for, they're obviously there in terms of a health and well-being position in terms of what they provide the community. 
But yeah. actually, sometimes it's a lack of amenity that causes people to go to the GP more often. Um, wow, and, yeah. and, and so therefore, actually, we could be looking at centres that are more driven by social prescribing as opposed to actual kind of the, the more kind of um, identification of, of, of medical issues through the GP surgery. Actually, if we were providing more health and well-being spaces, mm-hmm. people may be actually reducing their isolation by being more kind of cohesive in their communities and spend less time at their GPs. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I think as well, you mentioned before kind of how important it is for people to feel they belong and that sense of belonging. And I think that that's why it's also really important to partner with local independent businesses. Um, You know, if you are looking for a food vendor or an eatery, I think it's really important that you find the right partner for that building and make sure that that partner is reflective and representative of the people and the communities in which it serves as well. Yeah, completely agree. And, and that's where you know, the, the robust research is required before any decisions are made around occupations yeah. of buildings in terms of commercial spaces. Uh, yeah. and, and I think that kind of local needs analysis, you know, it, it, it has to be kind of part of the culture of the business yeah. that are taking things forward, because ultimately what you don't want to be doing is bringing things forward that are not sustainable in the long term. You know, there's, there's no point in having a local eatery that's a social enterprise if that business does not have the kind of financial resilience to survive and grow and then ends up unfortunately you know being unable to trade anymore and therefore you may have an empty space again so again some of the biggest issues here are around supporting the growth of these organizations especially startup organizations because you know as much as we all need the the tesco's and and the cost of coffees in the world you know and we and we do i mean realize they wouldn't survive commercially without them it's also good to provide some variety so sometimes we can look at the mix of the ground floor uses and maybe have some more less resilient to i say um businesses that are supported by more resilient businesses in terms of actually creating more vibrant place to live and work Okay. Yeah, great. Um, And are there any kind of UK city centre examples? Because of course, you know, due to the population density, it's typically these areas where you do see, you know, these built to rent residential developments. It's typically where we need more amenity to go round for the amount of people that we have in these cities. But could you give any examples on, of, you know, a really good example of social research where it's come to property development where you can really see that this this social value is happening for real yeah i mean look most regeneration projects now require this kind of social value research in whatever guise it's described as and i think one of the kind of best examples i've seen recently and this one's outside of london actually is um the Mayfield development um, in Manchester, uh, where yes. the where the public park was actually delivered before most of the residential or office-led buildings. And, and I think what's key to understanding that is that social value has always often been seen as the bolt-on, the, the, the add-on, the, 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 the last piece of the jigsaw. And unfortunately, that has meant that a lot of the time the social value deliverable at the end hasn't quite been of the quality it should have been. Um, And and so where you you and I, for example, brought forward the scheme and the public park, and I think it was Manchester's first new public park. I can't remember exactly how big it was now, but it was significant in size. But it actually created a destination for people to come to that weren't even going to live and work in those buildings. So going back to my kind of pillars model earlier. But ultimately, when people move into those buildings, they have a vast amount of green space to either dwell in or play sport in and so the social value benefits of, of that particular kind of amenity being brought forward as part of the regeneration schemes uh, development plans it's just so significant and it, yeah. all, and, it, and it all can't again be measured but I think the measurement of success is seeing how often and frequent and by different groups that space is used by over the coming years. 
Absolutely. And I think that you can get a sense when you walk around these spaces, as you said, um, you know, that it's actually happening for real. And as you said, it can be such a tick box exercise and an afterthought for so many developers. I think less and less so, which of course is is a great thing. But I think you can really tell when this is happening and the communicate communities are actually feeling that they belong, um, as opposed to, you know, it just being a tick box for the from the developer's side. And so how are developers innovating and shaping the future of social value of real estate? You know, what does good look like? I know you just touched on on a great example, but what should developers be aiming for to really innovate in the space? I mean, there's not a particular one thing. And this is going back to my point earlier about the research piece. Every project yeah. is different. Every community is different. So what developers should be aiming to do is, is, is to really understand the fabric of the communities and the challenges of those communities before they start putting forward proposals. Because I think ultimately one thing we can all agree with is, is that, the, that there's definitely is a need to support communities with robust planning around what they are missing what's the gaps around them and so whether it be kind of you know looking at greater detail at social and community infrastructure and, and trying to identify what's around as i said earlier there's no point in putting forward a new gp surgery there's already six within you know half a mile of or the one you're proposing yeah. but actually understanding where the benefits come is really key and, and that comes from looking at things through the lens of kind of policy you know what are the policy drivers for local authorities and what they're trying to achieve you know what are the what are the what's the data around needs and deprivation in those areas yeah. and, and, and looking at all other kind of uh, data that could help drive decision making. But I think the most important part is the developers are developers. You know, they're, they're not social workers, they're not youth workers, they're not sports coaches, yeah. they're developers. So what we have to think about is if we are going to create these amazing places and spaces that people can use, we're not going to be there to facilitate and activate them being used. So actually finding the right kind of community partners to work alongside and take along that side that kind of development journey is also key to having that long-standing sustainable social value offer which sometimes yeah. we, we we're quite quick to forget that things that we plan at the front end must have a position where there's an ownership or stewardship that removes itself from being the responsibility of the developer who just may not be there you know if they're not continuing to own and manage the asset how can they be responsible realistically in the long term of seeing the success of that well, actually, if you're planning for this at the beginning and you're working with the right kind of community groups and setting these community groups up to support them to then carry on that legacy piece once you have finished in terms of your financial commercial involvement with the site, then that obviously can lead to 30, 40, 50, 100 years even of social value continuingly to be kind of brought forward and of the benefit of the community. And it all stems from good planning. Absolutely. And I think it's such a good point you make as well that, you know, although we often see social value and financial value as kind of at the opposite sides of the of the spectrum, they actually that gap is that this is what will drive the financial value. And we can't afford to ignore these issues and ignore what local communities need and are crying out for. Um, and I think that's also to the point of investors as well. I think, you know, particularly aware of this world of the social value i think that it's a really important message for them to understand that long term this is also underpinning their returns i completely that but also you know i make this point quite frequently the social value is quite scary for people social value no. involves people and therefore people are, are very much variables in decision making whereas if you look at kind of more environmental um led outputs 
they're quite consistent in what you're looking for. There's very strict you know, accreditations and standards that people must adhere to in order to get a planning application. So from that point yeah. of view, there's a framework to work towards. It's not so regulated on the social value side of things. And that's not a good thing or a bad thing, to be honest. I think there's an element where there's an argument for by not having kind of set, determined sort of framework, it gives you a greater scope to be more bespoke in your approach and actually yeah. create value in a way you maybe wouldn't ordinarily be allowed to if you were working between some very rigid criteria um, and, and bookended by certain outcomes that aren't driven by local needs. Sometimes they're driven by wider national policy uh, yeah. than, than local policy. So, yeah, where people are involved, decision-making can be harder, but ultimately I think that the results are better and greater for involving people. Okay. And do you have anywhere that you would signpost, you know, potentially an investor or a developer who might be looking to find out more about this? And as you said, it can be quite a scary world to kind of navigate. Do you have anywhere that you would signpost people to find out more? Yeah, I'd say the Savile Surf website. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in, 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 in terms of that's basically the consultancy service I run, you know, there's lots of different ways to, to go about social value. But um, as I said at the beginning of the, of the kind of interview, um, my, my belief really is about people being at the heart of that. And, and it's not it's not as simple as just kind of walking into the community and, and starting to talk to people about real estate when actually some of them understand real estate. It's about understanding yeah. the kind of the language, the terminology, the relationship building. And, and sometimes with development, you know, often the mistrust between developers and the community, which has been manifested over you know, 50, hundreds of years worth of, yeah. of kind of, you know, bad practice. And I, I think that one thing that I found coming into the sector eight years ago was that real estate developers had a much worse reputation than I believe they deserve. And, and now rolling on eight years later, it's definitely not deserved. I mean, I, I point it out quite regularly. We mentioned the public park in Manchester earlier. You know, I, yeah. I don't know many public parks that, have, that haven't been built, sorry, um, recently, that haven't been funded by a developer in terms of bringing yeah. forward a development opportunity. Local authorities just do not receive central government funding to build parks. So yeah. a lot of public amenities are brought forward because of development, but there's a real lack of understanding about this within communities. So, yeah. and actually what I honestly find when communities do find out the details around how a lot of the things around them that are enhancing their lives and experiences are coming from development, they're, they're very surprised and also very keen to understand more yeah, that's really interesting. I think it's also all of this that you've just mentioned is is kind of coming at a time where there's much more awareness about environmental issues as well, about, you know, improved health and well-being outcomes from things like spending more time in parks and green spaces and community. Um, and I think that that can only be a positive thing going forward in the future. But just to finalise then, when we think about residential property development, I think that that is you know, every type of property development is equally important here. But I think somewhere that can really add social value, of course, is where we live. And the sense that this is where we belong and that, you know, the amenities are being used and there's a real community being activated. What advice would you have for property developers who are considering what which amenities to, to implement? I know, of course, like you said, the key point being that it largely depends on the area and what's already available, what's in demand. But what do you what would you say would be a good kind of planning framework, um, and what kind of trends would you expect to see going forward in the real estate residential sector? Oh, that's an interesting one. I, I think in terms of trends, I think there's definitely been a, a greater movement away from just looking at employment and skills. 
in terms of in terms of social value pieces. I, mm. I think that looking at kind of what's going on with the local authorities, um, there are there's definitely been a shift towards sort of cultural and kind of creative planning within the real estate process. So, yeah. for example, if you're bringing forward public realm and some public art, you know, what is the strategy around procuring that public art? Well, for me, it should always be procured through a local artist. You know, we, we, yeah. shouldn't, be, we shouldn't be looking miles and miles away from a local community to bring in art when actually there's probably someone up and coming who just needs a break you know, that ultimately could mm-hmm. launch their career. And what better than to see that break come from a development site that's only a couple of miles down the road. So so for me, I, I think that we've very much looked at social value in the lens of, of employment and skills and training, which is very useful and important because we're always guaranteed to see jobs and training required within real estate. But outside of that, there are opportunities which maybe aren't promoted as much which can add huge amounts of social value, um, not just through procurement, but also just through people's experiences of places and spaces. Yeah, Wesley, that's been an absolutely amazing conversation and one that I'm sure would have proven really valuable for a lot of people watching. Um, So thank you so much for chatting to me today. Um, And I will put in the description of the video the links to Savile's Earth and to your podcast where you explore things in more detail as well. Brilliant. Thank you, Amber. Thank you so much. Take care.